Hello, and welcome to Talk Julia. My name is David Amos. And my name is Randy Davila. So Randy, this episode, we wanted to take some time and I guess kind of talk a little bit about ourselves a little bit, <laughs> uh, but also some of the research and work that you're doing uh, in graph theory using uh, Julia. Well, I guess even beyond graph theory. At this point, we'll talk about that uh, later. But why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit, maybe some of the backstory about uh, you're working on this automated conjecturing program which you've been doing in Julia now. Right. For the listeners that aren't mathematicians, conjectures are open questions in mathematics for which you do not know the answer to immediately. Right. So um, famous conjectures would be like um, x to the power n plus y to the power n does not equal z to the power n. And these are integers n. And like there's no integer solutions to this. Like that was uh, Fermat's last theorem. But it was the conjecture. Right. It was open for a very long time. Yeah. Um, or there's like Goldbach's conjecture, the twin primes conjecture. There's there's these open questions in mathematics that kind of drive new research. And the whole and, like P versus NP thing. Right, for complexity theory, right. Um, so conjectures are like a fundamental building block of mathematics. Before there are theorems, there must be conjectures. Yeah. Right. So... David and I uh, had the privilege of going to undergrad together at the University of Houston downtown. And one of the professors there uh, was named Ermelinda de la Vina. Uh, she had a program called graffiti.pc, yeah. which was inspired by a program called Graffiti, written by Shimian Feitlowich at the University of Houston. So she was a PhD student of Shimian's. And Shimian was a very creative mathematician yeah. and was the first person to um, imagine, not imagine, the first person, to, first person to actually write a computer program that would automatically generate conjectures, meaningful conjectures, not just simple statements like if n is even, then n squared is even, not things like that. The types of conjectures or uh, postulates that Graffiti made were, I would consider, research conjectures, and they were research conjectures. Mathematicians like Paul Erdős and Fan Chung, like famous graph theorists and discrete mathematicians, um, worked on these problems and wrote papers on the, the conjectures of graffiti. So uh, Merlinda de la Vina at UHD um, talked about this, right? Along with uh, uh, Ryan Pepper, who was also like who, my undergrad advisor, right? And a friend of both David and I. Yeah, as an undergraduate, uh, Dr. de la Vina was my uh, I guess was this wasn't the title we used at the school, but like senior thesis advisor. I wrote like a a, a long thesis uh, for my senior project. That's what we called it at University of Houston downtown, and uh, worked really closely with with uh, her Melinda. And I, the whole project was working on conjectures from her program. So I would go meet with her in her office, and she would print out. She would have printouts of the output from her program. And we would go through it and uh, decide which which conjectures we thought were interesting, and what we would start to tackle, and and those kinds of things. And it was is a really interesting experience. It was the first time I'd ever worked with it, well, first time I'd ever worked with an automated conjecturing program. And it was also kind of my first real exposure to research style mathematics as well, right? Like right, like these questions that the the program posed that you were working on. Uh, Dr. Delavinia, she didn't know the answer to them either, right? <laughs> For the most part, yeah. Occasionally, we'd come across one, and she would be like, "Oh, that's actually known 
you know, she knew about it from maybe some literature. Someone else had, had already had that. But it, that was actually pretty rare. But also, you know, she didn't know what the output was going to be. So it was kind of like this, like, Christmas morning kind of feeling each time going in, getting this new thing. It's like, who knows what we're going to get? Like, right. we're going to get some really, really good stuff. But but it was it was just fascinating to me that, you know, at the time, and really to this day, I don't really know exactly all, you know, internally how her program worked, graffiti.pc, which I I think the .pc stands for parallel computing. Do you know? Is that oh, wow. correct? <laughs> I did not know, but I can ask her tomorrow. Because I, I think <laughs> that was like one of the major improvements she made to uh, graffiti. Um, so Shimei Filovich was her PhD advisor, and she worked on, I think it was writing graffiti.pc. Yes. Part, was yeah, part she, of her she PhD. Wrote, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was like one of the big improvements and again, you have to remember this was like what, like the late '80s or early '90s. That right. She was so, doing this? Yeah. graffiti written by Shimian Filovich was written in the late '80s. Yeah. Um, I think it was originally written in Java. Like I that. don't think it would have been Java if it was no. the '80s. I don't know what he wrote it in. If I had to guess, well, I know there was like a version. In, there, there was a version in Java eventually. But yeah, so just so the, so the listeners like know, like when we say conjecture, we mean like like a like a, a conditional statement, like if object satisfies this then something has to happen yeah and these are the, the types of questions that mathematicians deal with and the programs that exist like graffiti graffiti.pc there's another one called conjecturing and there's another one called agx by linnet so like larson's conjecturing linnet's agx i'm pretty sure and then and several others um these programs um generate these types of conditional statements these open problems where hopefully open problems, hopefully interesting problems. That's the goal, right? Yeah. Um, they have generated them on uh, like networks, like graph theory objects, graphs, as well as matrices, chemical graphs, uh, number theory. And I even heard, a, I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that a variant of graffiti early on conjectured F equals MA, like force equals mass times acceleration, hmm. based off of, funny. like, based off of data. Which actually leads me to, um, I, I should just say it, that this is like a data science problem. Right? You, yeah. have like, you have computed values on mathematical objects, and you're searching for relationships in all of that data. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it is very much a data science problem. And the people that do it in the, in the past did not call themselves data scientists. They were just mathematicians. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And they inspired me, right? So now I should probably start talking about like, my contributions a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually interesting that knowing about these programs and thinking they were really cool because I was a graph theorist as a grad student, like, and I wasn't a programmer. I couldn't, I didn't know how to program anything, but I'd like, I just knew about them and I thought it was the coolest thing. So I started to teach myself to program with the hope of one day being able to write a program like graffiti and graffiti.pc. That was like my goal, right? Yeah. And um, I started with C++ because that's what I thought I should use. And then a student told me, that why am I not using Python? So then I moved to Python. Python 2 <laughs> was like the, like that so long ago, it feels like. Yeah. Um, and um, I was sort of in isolation when writing this, right? Like when I was trying to figure it out, I wasn't talking to Shimian. I wasn't talking to uh, uh, Armelinda. I was on my own working on my PhD with Michael Henning in graph theory, but also at the same time trying my hardest to figure out how to get this thing to work, like how to get a program yeah. to do this. And every little 
little accomplishment felt so like big to me, like <laughs> just learning the appropriate way to like store the data and like read in the data, um, building a database of objects to compute on, right? Like I, I'm a graph theorist, so I had to like, in the early days, I literally like drew by hand, like the adjacency list and like made sure that like I could store the graphs as like text files, like on my computer. Yeah. And I, I drew out like a hundred of them. And that was what I used for my very first versions of the program, which I called TX Graffiti back then. So the TX comes from Texas State University where I was working while I was also pursuing my PhD. But like I wrote it at TX uh, at Texas State and I was paying homage to graffiti uh, and graffiti.pc with the name TX Graffiti. And uh, this program actually turned out to be uh, really beneficial to me. Um, and led to a myriad of papers. I don't know how many publications it's it's helped me with, but the, I figured out how to do it, and it it basically was just it taught me how to program. Yeah, <laughs> really, like learning how to how to 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 get a computer to behave like I was behaving as a mathematician. Because for whatever reason, early on, I was really good at asking questions yeah. in mathematics, like asking new questions. So I was just trying to figure out, like, okay, so. How do I do this? I look at examples. Uh, I, so I'm like, I draw out examples and I calculate things and I'm looking for patterns. How do I find the patterns? I have to do a bunch of examples and examples and what patterns am I looking for? And like trying to figure out how to get a computer to automate that on my own without any <laughs> help is what really taught me to program. Um, and like I learned about like, like pickling data and, yeah. um, and things like that. So now, um, I, I'm so, if you can't tell, I'm very proud of this accomplishment. <laughs> um, I wish that I would have written a paper about it at some point. Um, it just appears as one line at the end of my dissertation. Like, literally, the, the very last few lines of my dissertation say, many of the problems in this, um, in this thesis uh, were inspired or generated by this program, TX Graffiti. Yeah. So, what I wanted to do for the Julia community was to provide a general purpose conjecturing program for mathematicians that you like Julia. And honestly, it's faster than the Python version now that I have it written. Yeah. So I've, I, I have it ready now. Um, well, I did before, before we get into that, actually, I, I do want to mention writing this program, you know, gave you a ton of material to work on for your, your PhD. And that, you know, and these were like genuinely interesting problems that it was generating. I mean, your PhD thesis was essentially like a collection of a whole bunch of papers that you had written with yeah. uh, with your advisor. And these all had been accepted in like major journals and mathematics journals. So not only were they interesting problems to you, they were interesting problems to other other people that um, that looked at them. And I think, have you know, have spawned other questions as well. Like you've had, you know, those are, are getting cited and work is being continued on that right there's a few problems that like people have written like several papers on like there's still open problems from tx graffiti there's one in particular that i worked on for years i proved a partial result for it um some mathematicians in australia uh also worked on it like there's still like i, I wouldn't call them famous but like well-known or notorious problems that my program generated at least like in my small graph theory community. And then also doing this gave you and I the opportunity to actually work closely together. I didn't work on many of the conjectures or things with you, but you needed a way to compute a bunch. You needed to get the data. You you got data for graphs, right? The 
graph representations that you could use to read in. But now you need, okay, I need a whole bunch of data because these conjectures are basically establishing or proposing relationships between various properties of of these uh, graphs, these mathematical objects. Uh, and I guess we should be clear about what we mean by a graph, not that we're going to be talking about graphs a whole lot, but uh, but not like a, a plot or or something like that. But we're talking about uh, graphs like a like a network, so nodes and 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 edges um, joining those those nodes together, establishing these relationships between, between nodes. And I remember you asking me lots of questions. We had tons of conversations back then about you know how how would you compute this and you know is do you know of an algorithm that can do this and um, and you know we spent a lot of time thinking about how to compute these various properties. And we ended up writing a Python package together called RINPY, which stands for graph invariance in Python. And what was, I think what was the coolest part of that project that you and I did was you started, so we started with a lot of like almost brute force kind of algorithms for some of these things, or like doing some research and seeing like, does someone know of, of uh, you know a better algorithm or uh, i knew of a few algorithms that i had gotten to see as an undergraduate from graffiti pc uh, there were a couple of things that i got out of that and and we were able to kind of reuse some of those and rewrite them in python because graffiti pc was written in uh, c++ but then you introduced me to the idea of using integer linear programming to solve some of this stuff so a, a lot of what grinpy turned into is using linear integer programming and these like optimization techniques to like rewrite these concepts like these properties as uh, optimization problems and use uh we 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 ended up using the a pulp pulp package in python to 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 solve for a lot of that uh so that was a really cool concept that i guess i hadn't really thought about and we ended up i mean i think the vast majority of the graph invariants that are calculated in GrimPy are are using that, and it be, and it's so much faster than a lot of the other algorithms. Right, and just to let our listeners know that many of the things that we're concerned about, like conjectures on 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 graphs in particular, graph theory, like graphs, the conjectures that are interesting to to me as like an extremal graph theorist in a sense are the mm-hmm. conjectures that relate. Um, MP complete decision problem type functions to each other. So on graphs, there's lots of things that you can calculate that are MP hard to compute, which means basically if the graph is large enough, you won't be able to compute it. There are functions that there's no known algorithm <clears throat> that's going to give you the answer in a polynomial number of steps with relation to the input size being the number of nodes in the graph, right? So um, Using these optimization techniques, the, the Python package that David and I developed actually can compute them on graphs like of relatively big size to me. Like I've computed some of these things on like 150 vertex graphs where if you weren't using something like a, a linear integer solver to do that, it would take a very, very long time. Yeah. And so that's something. And of, and of course, like your TX graffiti was not that wasn't really a part of TX Graffiti. It was sort of like a, the, an extra component you needed because really all TX Graffiti needed was a data set. Right. And so you needed uh, you needed to produce the data set. And so we wrote that to produce the data set. And then, uh, and then that kind of has become its own thing that I've seen other people are, have been using it in, in projects as well uh, for, for different things, which is kind of neat. And that's something that 
maybe in another episode in the future we can talk about uh, that. And I'd like to I'd like to rewrite that in uh, in Julia. Right, I've started to a little bit, but because like I already have a data set generated right. from, I, I've just used the same data set, which actually leads me to why this new program that I wrote called Christie.jl is kind of different mm-hmm. than than TX Graffiti and the other variants of, there's like a linear TX Graffiti. Like the thing that I ended up writing in Julia over the past few weeks, or probably it's been like five weeks I've been working on it maybe. And I've gotten like, I, like it, I, it, I was able to get it to produce conjectures almost immediately, but like, like customizing it and making it elegant and like, like simple to use and general for not just graph data it took me a while to like, kind of do and like, <clears throat> I had a realization um, several like maybe two weeks ago now that I was just kind of laying down and I was thinking about like how it would be nice to like write this like in a very like function approach like a functional programming approach opposed to how it is in Python where like my how uh, TX graffiti is that I wrote in Python is it's not like users can like take that and use it on their own data <laughs> like it's so specific to the data that I made. Right, so I wanted to bring to the Julia community a version of my conjecturing programs that I've written in this TX Graffiti, linear TX Graffiti. Um, one of them was called uh, thatprogram.py. Um, and I, I wanted to bring that to Julia, especially since I'm, like, I'm starting to really like fall in love with this programming language more. And the... Uh, because it's not an object-oriented programming language like Python, I was kind of nervous to, to kind of jump in and, and do it. I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And it turns out that writing a conjecturing program in Julia, in Julia is very easy. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier than I thought. <laughs> in fact, the program that I ended up writing, uh, which I call Christy.jl, um, consists of just three Julia scripts, so two modules and one script that kind of um, includes the functions from those modules. And this program, unlike my previous programs, has the ability to conjecture on any mathematical objects uh, that you can compute invariant data on. So for our purposes, you, you can think of an invariant as a function that you pass in a mathematical object and that function returns a number. Right? So if I, if I look at the data that I'm using, I'm using graph data right now. Um, it's contained in a CSV file where the columns are like the invariants, the functions, and the rows are instances of graphs. So uh, row two is a graph, row three is a graph, so forth and so on. So each column is an invariant, um, but then there's also a Boolean columns, like which correspond to like, is the, is the object this type of object, or is it this type of object. So like graph objects, you can have like subclasses of them, like regular graphs, qubit graphs, um, uh, bridgeless graphs, things like that. So there's also um, Boolean columns in here. And then I, I am requiring that there's at least one, there is exactly one column um, called name that stores the names of the objects in your data set. Right? So, but really it's just invariants, Boolean columns, and then one column of the names of the things, right? Because the way that the, my program conjectures, it requires that you somehow have string names associated to the objects so that, um, well, 
it wants to conjecture very general questions to the, the user. So it wants to look at all the names for which the conjecture is true and try to find the largest like subset for which a given inequality is being formed, which I should probably say, I don't think we've said yet, that my program conjectures um, inequalities between invariants. So you have objects. Yeah. So if objects satisfy some Boolean properties, then this invariant is less than or equal to some combination of another invariant or two other invariants or things like that. And um, currently, the way that I have the program set up, it's only going to produce linear inequalities. So like invariant one is less than or equal to um, like M times invariant two plus B, <laughs> like linear inequalities like that. And these linear inequalities that are found are going to be true on each instance of the mathematical objects in question. So, but if you didn't like, if you didn't like linear inequalities, I happen to like them. Um, linear inequalities to me are like the simplest looking, the, the most like elegant to me. And a lot of things about this program I'm like very proud of because of it's, it's elegant. It's like, it's the best version of the program that I've ever written. And that's why I kind of decided to change its name to kind of stand on its own in difference than my previous programs. So how does it make the linear inequalities on the data that you have? Well, I use jump. So um, in my core functions module inside of here, um, I make use of, well, data frames, um, because I love data frames, but more specifically jump in the GLPK solver that you can use in, uh, in conjunction with jump. So basically what the program does is it reads in the data um, as a data frame, collects all the invariant names automatically. So it, it figures out which columns in your data correspond to numerical values. Those are assigned to the invariant names. So you don't have to provide it the names. You just have to make sure that they're along the, the columns in your data set. It finds the Boolean properties, if any. So those are the columns with, that are Boolean entries. Just checks the, the type Boolean array. Um, so it finds these. Um, but then to make the inequalities, it will read in the numerical values and select like a one invariant at a time. So like a target is what I call it. And that target, it's going to try to form, for example, um, here, uh, an upper bound on that target. And the way that it does that is by using a jump uh, model in the GLPK optimizer. And it's going to find variables M and B, the slope and the intercept, right, for these linear inequalities. And it's going to minimize the sum of x times the slope plus b. So why would you want to minimize this sum? Well, we need to look at the constraints as well. Um, if like y is our target, and we have x times m plus b is greater than or equal to y, and we want a really tight inequality, right? We want that inequality to be as like, close to equal as possible. Then that's why I decided to minimize this, right? So for minimizing um, this target function subject to x times m plus b greater than or equal to y, which is the target, minimizing that um, will give you a line that is kind of bounding this invariant from above by whatever that slope is and whatever that b is that it finds times the other values in the data set that you're like going against, right? Um, and there's other constraints that I had to play with to kind of figure out the best way to do this. And that's going to be some ongoing research on my part to kind of set um, 
what I would call like hyperparameters of this optimization model, um, where like I have that this, the intercept is no more than one, the slope is no more than two, the slope is greater than 0.25. Like these types of things are kind of arbitrary and really should be should be studied, um, should be uh, tweaked by the user depending on their data set that they provide. Um, but by the way, again, this is just a, a CSV file of data, right? So if you have your own CSV file of, of computable data and it's like in the values are relatively close to the values in my data set, like they're just, not, you have like integer values, some floating point values, Boolean values, and like the, the values are kind of close together, right? I found that when there was a column of data where the numbers are like, like 10, seven times more than all the other ones, then that will um, break this 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 optimization model by jump will not will not converge. Right? It, it, there's like a, a problem that will happen. So you can do that for upper bounds and for lower bounds. You want to maximize this linear sum, right? So if you're trying to target yeah. like make a conjecture against target y, you want to maximize x times n plus b, right? Which is less than or equal to y. And I am astonished at how fast it does this, right? So when when it when it forms these these linear uh, inequalities that are true on all of the data set on all the data that you have in your your uh, data set, um, it's it's solving a, a, like there's a lot of constraints, but this is linear programming that that's, that's that can be solved quickly. However, but I'm doing this when I call my main functions, which I'll, I'll talk about in a moment. I'm doing that on like all the invariants like in my data set. And there's a bunch of columns. I forget how many columns I have, but there's a bunch of them. Um, and it's just like, it's really cool to see jump work so well. And in like the API for using jump, I can't talk highly enough about how awesome these at constraint macros are and at variable macros are. And also jump version 1.0 just came out, didn't it? I think yeah. I saw that somewhere. It did. Yeah. So that's awesome. They just um, hit 1.0. Jump is probably one of my favorite packages in Julia for sure. Um, so then, yeah, it's really nice. Um, so then after I use jump to create a bunch of linear inequalities on a given invariant, like, like trying to like find these, these, these possible questions to pose, you'll end up with like hundreds or maybe thousands of, or tens of thousands of possible conjectures if you like have enough data and, and enough invariants that you're looking at in your data set. So then you have to somehow filter them. This is one of the most difficult things in automated conjecturing is filtering all of the things that the like the program will find. There's so many conjectures, inequalities that a, a computer can find, a program can find on a data set between invariants on a given mathematical object. Yeah. Um, but which ones are important, right? Like which ones, which ones like mean the most? And the way that I kind of solved this on my own when I was like, again, this is like this program is very special to me in the sense that I, I had to figure out how to do this all on my own, and I was too busy working on like my, my dissertation to like read all the literature that what people have done on, in the past. So um, I kind of figured that, okay, so if I'm looking at inequalities and I want them to be strong inequalities, they should be tight. They should be equal a lot in the data set. And that terminology I did take from, I think, Shimian Feitlowich's program that is called the touch number. Um, so the touch number is how many times does the inequality that you find equal actually equal, not just less than or equal, but equal, how many times does that occur in the data set? 
So if it equals a lot, that means it's a tight inequality, and I want to push those to the top of the list for the user to look at, because those are going to be stronger. You want to always consider the strongest possible conjectures relating these MP-complete, like, invariant-type problems, right? Like, you, you want them to be close to each other. Um, at least, like, as a mathematician, yeah. that's what I want. And then also, um, I try in this like this little line here um, where I get the the expression of my conjecture, which, by the way, I have a custom conjecture type that I had to write, which I really like. Basically, so if the inequality between two conjectures is equal and the, say, conjecture one, and the other one I'll call conjecture and then conjecture one, if the expression, the inequality is the same, I want to grab the conjecture with the most general family of graphs, right? So if the the inequalities are the same in one uh, one conjecture where the hypothesis is like maybe this type of graph, and then there's another conjecture that has the same inequality, but their hypothesis contains all of those other graphs that I just mentioned, then I would just discard the one, the prior one, and keep the one with the more graphs in it. And that's, that's why I require in the data set to have the names of the objects, the names of each instance of object, because I use those names to kind of filter through and find the one that has the most number of things that it's true for. Because mm -hmm. this program, is, it checks various types of hypothesis. It's not just like, if you have Boolean columns in your, in your data set, it's going to check like, if it's this type, and then does this inequality hold? If it's this type, does this inequality hold? And you want the Boolean property with like the most graphs, and at the same time, the touch number, like the, the most number of equals. So it's like weighting those two things together. And that's kind of how I figured out how to do this um, a long time ago, and now I'm implementing it in Julia. So those are the core functions. There's a conjecture type that I had to write to like print the things out nicely for you to look at and stuff like that. But basically, um, with these two modules, and then the Christy.jl uh, script here, which is also a module, we can make some conjectures. And there's two main functions right now you can consider when including Christy.jl, as long as you have that data set in your directory. Let's see. I'm going to first uh, import into my Julia REPL. Um, oh, my REPL, my favorite Julia REPL package. Uh, hopefully, you all know what that is. So it just highlights the syntax for you in, inside of the REPL. And then I'm going to include uh, christy.jl. So that's in my current working directory. And the first time you load these things, it takes a while because, again, I am inside of the scripts, I am importing data frames, data frames meta, uh, jump, glpk. Um, there's a lot of like packages behind the hood. Well, actually, not a lot. There's like five, I think, maybe, like CSV, data frames, whatever. Yeah. So then once you have uh, the Chris, once you have like imported this Christy.jl script or module, um, there's two functions that you can use, and there's, there's some hidden functions that if you go through the documentation, maybe you'll see, but I'm not going to talk about. Um, uh, let's say, so, but the two main functions are, so they are, well, um, surprise me is probably the, the best one to start with. So <laughs> if you look at the surprise me function, um, you don't have to pass anything into it. It's going to pick a random invariant from your data set that you have and then try to conjecture on that random invariant. So you don't even choose what it's looking at. It's just going to pick a random one. So that's why I call it. So it's like christy.surprise me. And uh, the first time you run this, it is a little bit slow. But again, that's that will change um, after it runs this first time. And then it's like really, really fast to produce conjectures. So right now we're waiting. Um, 
Christie's kind of sorting through all the the possible inequalities, but like finding them first using jump and then sorting them by touch number and then filtering them by generality. So it's like finding the strongest and yet like the most like, it sounds silly, but like they're linear. So they're like almost elegant looking to me. They're easy to read. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important because like there is sort of this aesthetic thing that mathematicians are really interested in, like an ugly conjecture, even if it's true, I guess unless it's like super important for some deep reason, generally they'll kind of look at it and be like, I don't even know that I really want to work on that problem. Like, right? Like there's this idea of kind of a beautiful conjecture. Like that was very important to me because I saw a lot of conjectures of, of some of the other programs out there and they were so messy looking, I didn't even want to work on them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so that's why these are so simple and, and like to me, like beautiful. Like as a mathematician, I can look at, like this first yeah. conjecture, I have no idea if this is true. If a, if x is a connected graph and is at free, then the radius is greater than or equal to this Slater number. This is like a degree sequence type of thing. It's very strong. It hits 120 what times. What is at free? Um, asteroid triple free. It's way too. Um, it, okay. it wouldn't be easy to describe, but yeah, it's it's, it's like a thing <laughs> that people study. Um, and then we have this one's true. Radius is less than or equal to diameter. That's true. And like, but this is this is just interesting. Like, look at how simple these are to read. And if you're a graph theorist, then you would probably look at these and say, like, some of these are interesting, right? Like, why is it saying that like if the graph is claw-free and connected, then the radius is greater than or equal to the domination number? Like, I have no idea. It's probably false. Most of these are false. Most conjectures in general are false. Yeah. But like. It's happened to be the case that in my past, for whatever reason, the ways that I've formulated these things using like linear integer programming and almost like a machine learning technique, because it is sort of like it's like it's artificial intelligence, but it's almost using like machine learning ideas behind it. So that was the random one, but you can focus on an invariant if you want to. And that's with uh, Christie dot um, write to me. So we're asking Christie to write to us or write to me. And then you pass in the invariant that you want to look at. So maybe um, I'll look at the independence number. And I can limit the number of conjectures that I want it to spit out. So by default, it's 50, but you can set that to however many you want. So I'm going to say conjecture limits, limbs. Um, maybe I'll do one to like 25 or something. So this is the write to me function. So Christy dot write to me, and this is targeting a specific invariant that you're you're curious about. And you can see it's really quick. It's already done. Um, spit out 25 conjectures. Um, this first one is a famous result in graph theory that uh, the independence number is greater than or equal to this thing called the residue. Yeah. There's been like four papers proving that in, in various ways. Well, and it's actually really well relevant to the history of all oh, of this because yeah, that it was. That was wasn't that the very first conjecture that uh, Shimian Feitlovich's graffiti program? I think that was the first major conjecture that like really uh, got people's attention. Um, what else? If then if G is a, so you have a connected graph and is a tree, then independence number greater than the total forcing number. I have no idea if that's true. Even though I made this invariant up, so like the total forcing number is like that's my invariant, I guess. I have more problems, like, because of this program, like, if you're a graph theorist, right, there's more problems generated by this program than you could ever, like, solve, like, 
Like a normal mathematician would, would have a hard time going through all of these. There's m more things to work on than I can like ever work on, right? This is why I always collaborate with people because I just see these things and like that looks interesting, that looks interesting, that looks interesting, and then I just like start sending them out. So my my goal with Christy.jl is to actually make this into like a package that um, people can go and install using the package manager, maybe even. And then as long as you have a data set in your your directory, a CSV file in your directory, it doesn't matter if it's graph data or not. If, as long as the numbers are relatively close together, um, generally speaking, and you have enough instances, this program will spit out conjectures on the, your mathematical objects. So like you could, for example, have um, matrix data where each like row of the CSV file corresponded to a matrix and the columns were like the trace or like eigenvalues or whatever and just see what it spits out. Um, or number theory, right? Like you, you could put like, or sequences even, like any type of data that you can calculate things on, this should work with. And I'd like Christy.jl to be, to help like other like grad students out there have problems to work on. Right, just so long as they cite it, yeah, <laughs> and they don't say they came up with it on their own. I think that's really cool because I could, well, just in the realm of mathematics, I could think of a ton of potential uses or potential areas that you could use this. I like one thing that I would actually be kind of curious to investigate is uh, things like topological invariants. So they have some sort of like topological space. And uh, that has many invariants associated with it, and people study these things. Geometric invariants, even. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, would be, that would be really uh, cool. An interesting thing. I do wonder if there's, like, outside of mathematics, you know, could would this have interesting applications in chemistry or physics? Or, right. right. My guess is it, it would. I don't know. But, you know, inequalities are useful for, you know, not just for, like, sort of uh, these you know, mathematical questions, but they have practical purposes as well. Like knowing like, you know, inequalities have real world uses that, that mean things to, you know, help you make decisions about, about things. So. Right. Like in, like, in like, this could be like, think about like maybe even like medical data where like each instance is like a patient in the columns or like, like blood pressure age or something like that. There would be, this would also conjecture on like, relating those things i don't know what it would say but like it it's it's feasible that it would do that because it's a very general idea and i wanted to mention briefly though that um I, some listeners might be um bored with the the linear inequality things right however um you can square entries in the data like if you had a column you could have like this invariant squared, right? Or you, one column could be like this invariant plus another invariant, right? And then you'd get linear combinations of that, which would imply more complicated expressions on the right-hand side. So instead of like algebraically manipulating the, the solver to find the inequalities, linear is like, you can extend that by just making new columns of the other combinations you want. Just make, like I said, like a column summing two invariants or squaring it, or taking the log, or something like that. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited, and I'm really proud of this version. Uh, and I hope that um, maybe I get some help because I've been working on it by myself for so long. It's like, <laughs> do you have this on GitHub yet? Not yet. I have not put it up yet, but I will. Okay. So yeah, I mean this it's it's really cool, and I could see 
it's still sort of in this like kind of basic form. So I could see like there's lots of room for this to kind of grow and expand and address other other people's needs, you know, even right. even more. But I think, you know, one application of this that we haven't really we kind of hinted at when we started the talk, but uh, but we haven't discussed a whole lot is uh, just in education, because that was, you know, like like I said, my experience with uh, with Dr. De La Vigna as a as an undergraduate. I spent hours, I mean, I I don't know how many hours, like <laughs> like dozens, if not over a hundred or hundreds, I you know, I did keep track of it, of hours, you know, sifting through this stuff and and you know, she would give me the uh the list of conjectures and I would go through and, and we would, you know, I would work on these things. You know, so so for example, you mentioned a lot of these conjectures are false. And, you know, I, that's true. But if you're teaching, like, say, in this case, you know, speaking to graph theory, if you're teaching like a graph theory course, uh, then you want students to develop a sense of, you know, how do you prove that a conjecture is false? How do you come up with a counterexample? How do you, um, you know, how do you approach a conjecture? Uh, and so having a bunch of false conjectures is very useful in that case, right? Because they're, they're a teaching tool. So I, you know, I see that also as kind of a big application of this is here's here's a way to just generate a bunch of problems for students to right like this would be perfect for like a, a summer like an reu like a like a summer undergrad right. research type yeah. of thing because like there there's a there's, there's a good portion of these that are accessible and also publishable to like undergrads um, not mm -hmm. like some of them, like I've had, I've sent some of these problems to math, like really strong mathematicians and they're still open and like people have worked on it, but some of oh, them sure. are like accessible for sure. I really need to write a paper about this Julia program, that, like, and work out on some of these problems and, um, kind of spread the word about Christie.jl so that like other mathematicians use it and get excited about, um, discovering new math. Yeah. And it'd be great to put it in a form where if they wanted to, they'd be able to just use it themselves easily. And I remember having discussions like that with the Python version of this, where you would come to me asking, you know, could we sort of package this up where, you know, we could send it to somebody, they'd be able to use this. And certainly that would be possible. And I mean, we never got around to it. Um, and I don't know if you did anything like that. But one of the things that's so cool about Julia is that really, you don't need to write like an interactive program even to, like they just need to install Julia and learn a little bit about using the REPL and they'd be yeah. able to, <laughs> exactly. to use it. So you exactly. kind of get the whole like interactive thing for free and we don't even really need to like package it up as its own like app um, right. or, or something. Yeah, like, they, I mean, certain, you could do that if you wanted to, but I, I think that's one of the coolest things about Julia is the REPL is so powerful and so intuitive that it kind of serves as its own little like mini application. For, yeah, for it does. Things, so. it, I, yeah, it really does. <laughs> now, that, now that you say it out loud, like, it does. Um, yeah, definitely. Any final thoughts before we sign off? I'm very proud of this package. Of what will be a package? It's not a package yet, but it's very close. Um, and I think this is the first automated conjecturing program written in Julia. I'm almost positive of it. Awesome. All right. Well, Randy, thanks so much for hanging out and talking Julia with me. Yeah, it's been fun. All right. Take care.